0: I remember the first real concert that I went to. I was, I don't know my exact age, but I was think I was about eight. I'd been to church concerts, and my dad sang in some church choirs and different concerts and uh, quartets and things. But the first big concert was at the Palace of Auburn Hills, which no longer exists. It's been knocked down and turned into something else in Detroit. But it was the great 80s band Air Supply. How many of you guys remember these guys? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Those mullets, those are awesome. We should bring those back. All right. Yeah, and I was eight years old, about eight years old, going there, and I wasn't sure what to expect. And man, I will be honest that at that moment, that was when it all started for me. Those love songs. If you're familiar with with Air Supply, you know that they're not only great music and amazing vocalists, but their songs, they just always, always talked about love, and it was never good. It was always that something was missing. I remember their big hit, I'm all out of love. I'm so lost without you. How can I go on, right? I'm needing you so much. I'm all out of love. And that started a, really a love affair with love songs for me. Kind of those pining songs. Uh, that Maybe they went on songs like this. You might remember, I don't want to live without you from Foreigner. Many of you guys probably slow dance to that at your eighth grade uh, dance, right? With or without you from you 2 I don't want to live without your love, Chicago. And of course, the big hit has been done by several people, but most notably by Mariah Carey. I can't live if living is without you, right? My life is meaningless if I don't have you in it. So many of these songs tell us that, That lie. That we need someone to complete us. We're in the second week of our series, You Don't Complete Me. We're talking all about relationships. Last week, if you remember, we went back to the very beginning and looked in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness. And we learned last week that we are all made in the image of God. We were all made in the image of God. But how many of you, by a show of hands, have been single before? (laughs) It's a trick question. Everybody should have their hand raised, right? All of us have been single. And this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to be single and how we can look at our singleness or a season that maybe we're in of singleness in relation to our relationship with God. And so I just want to tell you right off the bat, if you're not currently single, this is still a message for you. There's still truths we can talk about here. If you are currently single, this is definitely a message for you. I want to say right off the bat, though, that I feel a little uneasy with this message. Uh, often I feel like, uh, not the expert, but like I feel like I've lived something in a way that I can teach you or I can share some personal experiences, but the reality is from that moment at that Air Supply concert on, I had one goal, to be married. <laughs> and so my life and the choices I made were often dictated by that, and we're going to see how that, that often can, can lead us down paths that we don't want to go down. So, I feel a little unqualified to talk to you about singleness because not only have I spent so much of my young adulthood pursuing marriage, but I have now been married for years. And so, I can't speak in this moment about what it means to be single. And I often also know that singleness is often a difficult topic. Some of us are single because we choose to, some of us are single by others' choices. No choice of our own. Some of us are single because of our circumstances. Maybe your spouse has passed on. But whatever the reason, often those who are single are made to feel like second-class citizens. So let me say right out of the gate, being single is not a lesser state. There's not something wrong with you. You're not incomplete, incomplete. But it doesn't always feel that way. I've got two daughters, and for the past several years, especially our oldest, as she's gotten older, uh, she'll often, when she sees someone she hasn't seen for a while, maybe a family member or a friend, one of the inevitable questions that comes up is this, so, are you seeing anybody? (laughs) Or worse yet, when are you going to get a boyfriend? And it's not just young people, right? How many of you have heard this question before, well, when are you going to get married, And once you're married, what's the next question that you're asked? When are you going to have kids? Exactly. Now, I know that many times those are well-meaning questions asked by excited parents that are excited and wanting to hold grandbabies, but the subtle or sometimes not so subtle underlying messages of questions like that is that somehow you're not experiencing life the way you're supposed to until you're dating, until you're married, until you have children, That somehow you're less than and maybe not yet complete. We often put pressure on ourselves and others even to somehow think that those relationships somehow make us complete. Maybe you've even had a conversation that went something like this. Have you talked to Marcus yet? He'd be such a good fit for you.
1: I don't know. I've talked to him and I'm just not that interested. We're going to find you a good Christian man. You really don't have to do that. Oh my gosh, Brent. He's a financial advisor for Wells Fargo. He brags about it a little bit, but... Yeah. And he's also on the treasury board for the church. (gasps) That means he cares about the Lord's money. I actually tried to talk to him after church last Sunday, and we Mm -hmm. literally talked about Excel spreadsheets. My gosh, Uh y'all have talked. Isn't he so smart? Listen, I know what it's like to be young and single and in the church. Okay, I didn't meet Jeff until I was 18 years old. What? Okay, yeah. I and know those that. three months in between him and my other boyfriend mm-hmm. were the hardest three months of my life. I get you out of this single face. Yeah. You yeah. just have to find you someone, anyone. anyone. As long as they're Christian and mm-hmm. go to church, that will be good enough. I'm fine. I don't mind being single. <laughs> okay. I'm not in a huge rush. What? what? No, you should be in a rush, okay? You don't want to spend the next five to ten years of your life not married. <laughs> Until you are evenly yoked with your husband, you'll be unevenly yoked to the world. Oh my gosh, yes. Amen. Oh, Kevin. Oh my gosh, perfect. Oh my gosh, no. He's never looked me in the eyes. So true. I was like, Okay, true. He's technically never spoken to a woman. Yeah, but he volunteers for communion every Sunday. Oh, yeah. Oh my gosh, Tyler. <gasps> He's a lead vocalist in the worship band. And all he does is play guitar. You know, mm. I've I have never seen him not on stage. Yeah, but when he sings Oceans, I cry. I cry. You know who you could love? Derek. Oh, yeah. Isn't he dating Laura? No, they actually broke up two days ago. Mm -hmm. But I see him with Claire like all the time. They're just talking. Yeah, he's actually talking to uh, Claire and And Tiffany. Tiffany. But you could be the one he more than talks to. Michael! yeah sure he thinks you're in love with him after you've only (laughs) talked Um, to him one time (laughs) that's the end goal anyways no bill oh he's so fatherly no that's not his child he's always holding someone else's child it's like what is he trying to prove uh that he's a good good father (laughs) yeah what about ken he's looking at you Mm -hmm. what are you kidding me what's happening Excuse me, excuse me, everybody. This is my friend Liz, and she is the most eligible bachelorette I have ever met. She is desperate. I'm not alone. I'm fine. She will literally date anyone. Guys, she will date you. You, you, you. Do you have a brother? She'll date both of you. I just have to get you married so you can be blissfully happy. You know, maybe you've been single for so long (laughs) because God is trying to teach you something. Okay. Right. Yeah, was... How are your marriages, huh? Yeah, yeah it's
0: okay. <laughs> <laughs> we laugh because it's true. Some of you have had conversations like that. Even, yes, at church, we often feel that way. And it's exaggerated, obviously, for comedy, but that's often the way it feels, right? Like there's something wrong with us if we're not completed by someone else. We often treat singleness as a problem to solve. Now, this coming week, Valentine's Day is coming up, and I know for many of you, you're super excited that you're gonna celebrate with your spouse or your significant other, but for many people, it's the dreaded holiday where they're reminded of conversations like that, that they don't have someone, that they somehow are less than because they don't have a relationship, because they're single. Now, we all know what we mean when we say we're single, but have we ever looked at that word to really see what is the definition of single? I looked this up, and apart from the things that you might think of, someone who just isn't with someone else, this is also the definition of single. Separate, unique, whole, single. Now, that doesn't sound so bad, does it? That doesn't sound less than, That you're separate, that you're unique, that you are whole, not waiting for someone to complete you. Let's take a look at where we left off last week in Genesis chapter 1. Actually, we read Genesis chapter 1, we're gonna go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord said, It is not good for man to be single, I will make a suitable helper for him. Wait a minute, that's not what it says. The Lord said, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. Now, we're going to talk more about the second part of that verse next week as we look at marriage and what it means to have a suitable helper. But today we see that God didn't say it's not good to be single, He didn't want us to be alone. So, what's the difference? If single is separate, unique, and whole, here's the definition of alone separated from others, isolated, without support. God didn't say, don't be single. He said, it's not good for you to be alone. See, remember, mankind was made in the image of God. And in that, we aren't somehow inherently missing something, missing our other half. As we talked about last week, Jerry Maguire got it wrong. We were already made complete, whole. Now, I'm just about the age where we started to introduce uh, new math. You guys familiar with this? I was in college studying education, and the changes in math, honestly, they were a little bit difficult for me, the way things were starting to be laid out with what we call new math. And so many of us have been living our lives looking for our other half. We think that somehow we're not complete until we find a spouse. Our culture, our parents, sometimes even church, often tells us that the math is this. A half plus a half equals a whole. Well, that makes sense to us, right? But in God's economy, one plus one equals one. One separate, unique, whole, plus separate, unique, and whole equals one. It's not two halves becoming whole. It's not less than being made complete, it's two becoming one. Genesis 24: "For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh." And Jesus goes on, quotes this in Matthew chapter 16:8 or 196, and then he adds, "So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, no person is to separate." See, the cure for being alone is not marriage. It's community. The solution to your aloneness is not to couple up. It's community. Now, you might find community inside a marriage. A strong, healthy, Christ-centered marriage will help build community. But the solution to your loneliness isn't to not be single. It's to experience community. Many of us got into marriages or want to get into a relationship because we think that somehow being with someone will make us complete. It will cure our loneliness or it will fix our problems. But some of the most lonely people in the world are married. That's not the job of marriage. See, marriage doesn't fix our issues. It magnifies them. Marriage doesn't fix our issues, it magnifies them. If you're a selfish person, you don't inherently become selfless when you're married. If you're an impatient person, you don't, when, I, when you say, I do, suddenly have all the patience in the world for your spouse who takes two hours to get ready and thinks the numbers on the clock are supposed to be rounded to the nearest quarter hour. If you are an insecure person before your wedding, The only thing that's changed after the honeymoon is that you now have placed that insecurity under a magnifying glass. Marriage doesn't fix our issues, it magnifies them. See, insecure people are looking for someone to fulfill their needs, to make them feel complete. But secure people are looking for someone who helps fulfill their purpose. If you're single, you might need to write that, that one down. Secure people are looking for someone who helps fulfill their purpose. When God put Adam and Eve together in the garden, it was to complement each other, not to complete them. See, marriage doesn't fix our issues. It magnifies them. The last thing you want is a spouse who forever leans on you to make them feel complete. Because that's putting a human in the place of God. There's a word for that we use in church. Idolatry. It's trying to fill that void within you with someone other than God. So we all need community. We don't all need to be married. The Apostle Paul has some stuff to tell us about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you got there, we're going to be looking at there the rest of our morning. The Apostle Paul had some strong thoughts on the idea of marriage and singleness. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, Paul is writing here in response, apparently from what we can read, to some questions that the Corinthian church had been asking. Now things were pretty radically different than maybe we experience them today in the Corinthian church. Much like our society, uh, being in a couple, being married was elevated. It was a sign of status. It was not only how women in that culture could find security, but it also just really laid the foundation for being someone who was really had value both male and female. But with the introduction of Christ, the Corinthian church were wrestling with this because they thought, well, they understood that Jesus completed them. And so there was actually a group that was teaching that marriage was wrong, that these people that had professed their faith in Jesus Christ, they shouldn't be married. They should just stay single. And so they were asking some questions and Paul's addressing these questions. And he says in verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. This is actually a phrase that was used back then uh, to take something that wasn't yours sexually. But, he said, because of sexual moralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband, The husband must fulfill the the duty of his wife, and likewise the wife also to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband also does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You may say, wait, does that have to do with singleness? I just wanted to read the context here because that's actually my favorite verse in the Bible, this passage here. So you can go back and look at that again if you didn't get that. He says, but I want to say this as a way of concession, not of a command. And here's where I want us to get to today. He says, yet I wish that all men were even as myself am. However, each has his own gift from God, one in this way and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them to remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. See, it seems like Paul wants us to understand that being single isn't somehow less than. I love the way that Eugene Peterson paraphrased this verse in the message. He said this, sometimes I wish everyone were single like me, a simpler life in many ways. But celibacy is not for everyone any more than marriage is. God gives the the gift of the single life to some, the gift of the married life to others. So I want us to see something here. Paul calls both marriage and singleness something, a gift. Singleness is a gift. Now, I know it doesn't always feel that way. And there are real pain attached to some of our experiences with singleness. But Paul wants us to know that there is something good and maybe even better in singleness. Now, for those who have lost a spouse, that doesn't mean that that pain isn't real. That loss happened. Paul isn't saying, and I'm certainly not saying get over it. But he is saying, and I want you to hear the heart of God That a spouse, as good as they may have been or may one day be, doesn't make you complete. Singleness is a gift. Because the reality is this. Marriage is temporary. Some of you might be saying, wait a minute, we're in church. I thought married, when you got married, it was for the rest of your life. And it is. But marriage in and of itself is only temporary. And we're going to see this. Jesus reminds us of that in Matthew chapter 22. He said this. He said, on that same day, or this is a story that's happening, on that same day, Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, so they're not quite understanding what's going on, came to Jesus and questioned him, saying, Teacher, Moses said if a man dies having no children, his brother, as next of kin, shall marry his wife and raise up children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers among us, and the first married and died, and having no children, he left his wife to his brother, it was the same also with the second brother and the third, down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died. So in the resurrection, he's asking this question. He's, they're posing this theoretical question here. In the resurrection, therefore, well, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her in marriage. And Jesus answers them and he says this. You're mistaken, since you don't understand the scriptures or the power of God. For in the resurrection, in eternity... They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Marriage is temporary. It's a temporary union on this earth. It is till death do you part, but it's not the whole. It's not for eternity. Marriage is a sacred union, it's for a lifetime, but Jesus is helping us see that we're not understanding the power of God here. It's not, it is for a lifetime, but it's not forever. Marriage is temporary, but eternity is permanent. And your life isn't defined by your relationship status. We need to view our lives, whether married or single, with a bigger picture of the kingdom of God. Paul goes on in verse 25. He says, now concerning virgins, I have no command from the Lord. So this is just his thoughts, his opinion as a godly, wise man. But I'm offering direction as one who has mercy of the Lord and is trustworthy. I think then that this is good in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Don't seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned, but yet such people as yourselves will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. But this I say, brothers, the time has been shortened. And this is where I want us to switch translations here for a second, because this next part here, if you're reading along, in almost every translation, it's just confusing. But I want us to read what it says here in the NLT. So but let me say this, my dear brothers and sisters the time that remains is very short. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. For this world as we know it will soon pass away. See, marriage is for life, but your marriage isn't your life. At least it's not supposed to be. Your completeness isn't found in your spouse or your circumstances or your possessions. Paul isn't saying in here, don't focus on your marriage, but it shouldn't be your only focus. Your kids shouldn't be your only focus. Your desires in life should not be your only focus. Your job shouldn't be your only focus. And neither should anything else that takes your focus off what your life is supposed to be about. And he goes on and he tells us what that is. He says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. I'm expecting to get some amens there. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. And a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. See, Paul recognized that there are certain responsibilities that change when you're married. You're no longer solely an individual, but you're an individual who's part of something new. And with that two becoming one, your focus is now divided. The single person can't put the same energy towards the things of God. In his book, Going Solo, Eric Kleinberg studied the growing trend of young people that we're seeing across the world, really, choosing to stay single. And in it, he found that contrary to what we often believe, singles were prone to find deep, lasting community and make an impact on the world even in their singleness. Not even in their singleness, but because of their singleness. He had this to say, we have seen, for instance, that young and middle-aged singletons have helped to revitalize the public life of cities because they're more likely to spend time with friends and neighbors, to frequent bars, cafes, and restaurants, and to participate in formal social activities such as civics groups. They become more socially active than those who live with others. And cities with high numbers of singletons are enjoying a thriving public culture. See, there's a freedom that we have in our singleness to experience that God-given need for community. Now, unfortunately, many single people have more time to devote to serving God, but they choose to devote their lives to serving themselves. Now, there's nothing wrong with enjoying the freedom that you have in being single. Many of you love that. Many of you married sometimes wish you had that freedom. But if your motivation for being single is to make your life more about yourself, then you're still going to be searching for that love, for that completeness. In that same book, Eric found that the same is also true on the other side. He said, I've heard so many people say that they love being alone because it allows them to do whatever whenever and wherever they want. But this turns out to be a false God, he says. It can't answer your deepest questions or give you everything you're looking for. This is a man who actually is not a believer. That's because these things were never meant to do that. Living for yourself was never meant to make you whole. Just as your spouse was never meant to be the focus of your life, your singleness and the freedom that comes with it wasn't either they were never meant to be gods. They were meant to be, Paul told us already, gifts. So for the single person, let me ask you a question. Are the things of God actually your concern? Is that where your focus is? Whether you're preoccupied with yourself or you're preoccupied with your desire to be married, that's a tension that's being put in the wrong place. So here's Paul's point. And all of this, whether you're married or single, live your life, whatever your relationship status, in light of eternity. Regardless of your relationship status, what it is, what it was, or what it might be, live your life in light of eternity. If you're single, what can you do with your singleness, with your time, with your freedom? that advances the kingdom of God. And the same question is for those of us who are married as well. What can we do with our marriages, our joined efforts, with our commitment to advance the kingdom of God? Not for ourselves. But I want to end with some practical advice. I know there are some of you who are still saying, but I want to be married. For those of you who have a desire to be married, your desire isn't wrong. But I want to give you three Key words of advice. Don't let it consume you. Recognize that God didn't make you less than because you're not married. And to let that desire for someone else or what they might bring or what you think they'll bring, to let that drive your choice is putting something else in the place of God. Don't let it consume you. Insecure people are looking for someone to fulfill their needs. But secure people, secure, complete in Christ, are looking to someone for someone to help fulfill their purpose. Don't let it consume you. The second is don't settle. Maybe you feel like you have to settle. Maybe you've got some friends, like in that video, that are just asking those questions and they just want you to settle. Just pick somebody already or just lower your standards. But if singleness is legitimate, which it is, why are we pressuring each other, often even in the church, to do this? I heard it said this way. Why would we want what's second best for someone in marriage when they can have what's best for them in singleness? Don't settle for someone who just fulfill your needs, but seek someone to help fulfill your purpose. And third. Be secure in the truth that you're made in the image of God. The imago Dei. You don't need a spouse to make you whole. So if you're going to be looking for someone, look for someone who compliments you, not someone who you think will complete you. Seek marriage only when you realize that you're complete in Christ and you want to share that completeness with someone else. See, the best marriages are made by two whole people coming together. So work on becoming the person that God has created you to be, that you were made to be. I heard this quote from Andy Stanley. He said this, becoming the person or become the person the person you're looking for is looking for. Think about that for a second. Become the person the person you're looking for is looking for. Get your relationship with God where it needs to be. Live for him. And if God blesses you in the way with marriage, great. If he doesn't, you still have that gift, right? You're not less than. Now, truthfully, most of us who are married or who have been married didn't enter into the commitment to our spouse with this idea of helping, of of forming a union to advance the kingdom of God. If we're truthful, that's not the motivation that most of us had for getting married. But I know all of us who have been married or are married realize that if we had made that our motivation, we would have avoided some bumps in the road. See, finding ourselves in Christ first eliminates placing the burden of completion on someone else. We said last week that the only one who can define you is the one who made you. And this week, we see that the only one who can make us complete is Christ. A spouse can't complete us. A boyfriend or girlfriend can't complete us. Only Christ can complete us. And that completely changes the relationship if two people are already made complete in Christ. It also completely changes the single life of a person who is complete in Christ. So if you are desiring to be married. I can't promise you that if you do those three things that you'll find a spouse. That's not real life. But here's the good news. You will have a shot at finding true contentment, whether married or single. Why? Because you have a love that's better than both. A love that will never let you go. We've sung about that reckless love that we have this morning that each and every one of us, married or single, can experience in Jesus Christ. How deep the Father's love for us, for all of us. A love that will never let us down. A love that makes us whole. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Colossians 2.10 says, So you also are complete through your union with Christ. God will supply all of our needs. We are already made complete. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the gift of singleness. We thank you for the gift of marriage. Lord, help us in whatever season we might be, whether it's a short season or a season for our entire lives, Lord, help us to recognize that we are made complete in you and through you. Lord, help us to take advantage of that gift, whatever gift we might be holding. Lord, I know that many of us are sometimes given gifts that we didn't ask for or we didn't want. But Lord, you've promised us that through your divine mercy, you have made all of these things, both marriage and singleness, a gift. Help us to see that gift, even in the midst of the pain that we might be going through. Lord, for those who are married in this room, I ask that you would remind each and every one of us that we are made complete, not by the person we're with, but by you. That we, Lord, would repent and we would we would cease from trying to make our completeness come from our spouse. Lord, for those who are single, maybe they desire to be with someone or maybe they don't, Lord, or maybe they have and are, are broken because of divorce or loss of a spouse, Lord. I pray a special blessing on them that they would recognize the completeness, the wholeness that they have in you. And Lord, the gift that, that singleness can be to pursue you in a unique way. Lord, help their eyes to see that. Lord, regardless of our married status, our relationship status, our singleness, help us to be people who are living in light of eternity. That the decisions that we're making and the relationships that we're forming are not just for this world, but they're with eternity in mind, Lord. we would be living for your glory. Lord, be with us. Remind us of that truth. In the name of Jesus, we pray.